Welcome to the Molding Private Practice Show, where we help healthcare practitioners in private practice keep true to their purpose and build a life of mastery by providing the knowledge, skills, and tools to bring their dreams to life. In this episode, we speak to Tasneem Abrams, an occupational therapist based in South Africa, about her private practice and everything private practice management related. So, Tasneem Abrams, uh, welcome to the Molding Private Practice Show. I'm really, really excited to have you on board. I mean, I, I think, you know, so I've been following you on Facebook and you're kind of like a celebrity. I've said this on a phone call. <laughs> so when Tasneem speaks, it seems to be like everyone listens. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm really, really glad, glad that you're on. Oh, thank you. That, that's so funny to hear that because I don't think of myself as a celebrity at all. <laughs> so can I call myself an influencer now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's post us some numbers and then, yeah, we're all cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So the purpose of having this is, is um, I mean, we were speaking, um, you know, previously about keeping it real. And, and I think, you know, we, our paths are crossing in a certain way. And I've been in awe about the work that you're doing. And, and, and that's kind of what I want to touch on in this, um, you know, in this episode is, is just where are you, um, you know, what, what, how did you become a healthcare practitioner, you know, and, and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, if we go into that, I mean, like, was it a calling? How, how did that kind of come about? So it was funny that you asked that because just the other day, I actually posted on Instagram. Um, I can't remember what, what picture I posted, but and then I spoke about, oh, it was to do with World OT Day. This is World OT Day. And I spoke about how I actually became an occupational therapist. So I remember it very clearly. I was at Wamba Girls High in um, Cape Town. And they introduced, before they had, you know, every, all the schools are now doing this um, voluntary work thing. But before that was even a thing, Wamba Girls introduced this concept into the school where um, in your, I think it was in standard eight, which is now grade what is grade standard eight? I don't know. <laughs> um, grade yeah. standard eight. Anyway, it doesn't matter. First year of high school, uh, um, you had to, oh, standard eight is grade 10. So it was the third year in high school. Um, mm. I had to, we had to do community service. So we had to do a certain amount of community service hours, anything, it could be anything. And we had to log the hours and have it signed. So my mother took me to this hospital called Princess Alice Hospital in retreat and i was walking i went to go and do volunteer work in the children's ward so i was going to play with the kids always loved kids always thought i was going to be either a teacher or a pediatrician when i was like little that was what i thought i was going to be and i walked through you know the hospital passages are like these long passages i was walking down the passage and towards the children's ward which is right at the end and as i was walking down the passage i just my something caught my eye down one of the you know off off the passage um i saw these two um young girls in these green bottle green pants and white golf shirts and they were busy playing with this child who at the time i obviously didn't know but the child had cerebral palsy um the child was sitting in this like high seat like um uh, thing and they were playing with this child and then i was so curious like what are they doing um so i actually went to them and asked them like what are they doing and they said that they were fourth year occupational therapy students from uct and i said well so they were telling me what they were doing and i found it so fascinating because like how clearly i remember this they said um they you know that children at certain developmental ages like when they drop things on the floor that is that's part of them like 
testing their, their depth of perception and like develops their visual perceptual skills. And I was like, mind was blown. Um, I didn't know that there was such a thing as occupational therapy. It was also very, very, um, not very well known at the time as a profession. Um, and so that's kind of what, what got me interested in the profession. And actually from that time onwards, I was like, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be an occupational therapist. Um, and I always thought I was going to be a pediatric occupational therapist, which actually was never ended up being the case. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I have no interest really in being a pediatric occupational therapist. Um, so yeah, that was how I discovered the profession and how I ended up going into occupational therapy. Um, my mother is an extremely, was an extremely altruistic person. So the kind of give back um, culture and way of being is kind of just part of how I grew up. She's always been involved in meals and wheels and she mm. always wanted to be a nurse. So she always wanted to be in the health profession as well. Um, so yeah, it, was just, it was just meant to be, it was supposed to be in a mm-hmm. helping profession. Hmm. Yeah. That's actually that's actually an amazing story, hey. And, and it, it kind of hey, Shaz, I mean, like you can kind of uh, tell us some of the some of the other stories around that. But it seems to be always that you know, like how you explained it. You know, it seems to be always like how how could you know professionals kind of explain it. You know, it was always at some point they decided actually that was what they wanted to do, which is actually pretty. You know, it's a, it's a really cool story. Um, in terms of knowing that, um, because, you know, I always, again, equated back to business, you know, like, you know, most people, they go into business, but they're not really sure why they're going into that, or, you know, it's always like, okay, because I need to make money. But what I find amazing about healthcare practitioners, especially in private practice, is that they have the calling, they have the reason, you know, and they love what they're doing, and then they get the chance to make money as well. I mean, like that's, that, you know, you don't find often. Yeah. But the interesting thing, though, is like I'm the eldest and I always say like I have exactly the half and half of my father and my mother. Now, my father is a very like tech guy and he's always been an early adopter of technology. Um, you know, he's always loved that kind of thing. My brother as well. Um, whereas my my mother's always been the creative, artistic, helper type personality. And my sister is a lot like that as well. Whereas I've kind of always had both. Now, I always say that you never know what how different your life would have been had you grown up in a different time or circumstances had been different. And I always think that if I had maybe only been like a gen, like in this generation, I'd been like exploring careers, I probably wouldn't. I might not even have become an OT. I might have ended up going into like web design or that from the outset. When I was growing up, there was no such thing as Facebook. There was no internet. Like we mm-hmm. didn't even have cell phones at high school. So <laughs> that wasn't something that I would have even known to consider as a potential career. So it's, and, and that, it all brings it back to, like I always think that my way of thinking is very much informed by occupational therapy because we, were, we talked about the occupational science and the philosophy of doing, being, becoming. And I always say that I look at it like that because um, especially at UCT, occupational enrichment was a big thing. And I can see that play out in, in my life as well, that without the exposure to different types of occupations or doing and being, you won't know what you get up capable of you know and 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 that's part of what i really love about occupational therapy it's really about helping people see and be exposed to the possibilities of what they are capable of 
in whichever you know area that you specialize or work in. Mm. You see, it's it, it's that thinking, it's that wanting to be able to help people, that having that half of your dad who was a lot more tech savvy and for more advanced, and that half of your mother of wanting to give back that. And from what I can see has led you to get involved in a lot of the things that you have wound up getting involved in, like mm. you know, Josie for Autism and the new private practice growth club. It, it's all about, you know, how do you give back and help? And I can see how that occupational therapist side of things does play a role in, you know, exposing you to different areas of private practice and how each one of those helps to mold a successful practice. So it's really amazing to watch how you've grown to becoming, you know, an occupational therapist and an entrepreneur. And at this stage, in fairness, Oliver had it right. And, you know, a celebrity within your field. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep that. <laughs> you know, if Tasneem Abrams says, you know, have you looked at it like this? People tend to stop and think, think and go, okay, hang on, maybe I should look at it like that. So that does come across in the way you give information out to people. It's absolutely phenomenal to see. And watching, you know, we've sat how often and spoken about, you know, how many clients that have fallen into that build a PTY trap and then have to go and say to them, guys, no, but you can't do that. You know, these are mm. the, so, you know, having somebody out there to help with that and let people know what you should and shouldn't do is really helpful to the industry. Mm. I think also because if I think about it, I said now when I was in grade one, sub A, sub B, I wanted to be a teacher. Um, so I think it's also that I do really have a love for teaching. I love imparting knowledge. So um, this the Private Practice Growth Club has kind of been the perfect culmination of all of that. I get to teach, I get to help people, and I get to do it using technology. So I kind of, it's kind of like brought everything together. And I get to do digital, like talk about digital marketing, which I also love. <laughs> so um, it's, yeah, it's kind of brought them all together, which is amazing. So I feel like I've, uh, and I actually, I teach about this in my academy. I teach about um, using the model of Ikigai to determine your niche and where you need to be. I don't know if you know about Ikigai. So Ikigai is a Japanese concept that takes the, it takes where you look at what you are good at, your skills, what you love. So that's like your purpose, um, what people will actually pay you money for and what the world needs. And if you can find the sweet spot that intersects, intersects between all four, then that is, that is where true happiness lies and that's where you find your ikigai. So sometimes mm -hmm. you might choose to do something you're good at and that uh, something you're good at that you um, really enjoy doing, um, but it doesn't pay money. That's kind of, you know, when you're involved in charity type stuff. Or you maybe do something that you're good at and skilled at and trained at and it pays money, then that becomes like a vocation. Or you do something that people really need and that pays money, then that becomes a profession. And then, or you can do something you really love and that the world needs, but it doesn't pay money and you're not very good at it. So it kind of becomes a hobby. So it's kind of like, how do you find? And so I think I find my ikigai 
Private Register <laughs> Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I've seen that circle intersection. I didn't know that's what it was called. Uh, but but yeah, yeah. Actually, you, you summarize that perfectly. I mean, like I think when you transcribe <laughs> when you transcribe that, we'll probably highlight it. <laughs> but that's like per- <laughs> but that's perfect. Eh? Uh, you know, I thought of something. I, I would love to know your feeling on this. But um, so I, I like what you said about how you know the world has changed so much, um, and you know, being a being a dad. It's so difficult to almost like prepare kids for what the world might be. Uh, do you have any mm. thoughts on that? I mean, like, how do you tell them, you know, so when I was growing up, you know, if you had money, you could become a doctor, lawyer, you know, and uh, yeah, a doctor, lawyer. Um, and if you, you know, or you could become a teacher and, you know, the IT profession was like non-existent. Um, mm. And, uh, but like now, I mean, how would you advise children or how would you advise someone, you know, with children, on how how would yeah. you train them for that, what they would become as a... Yeah, so future-proofing your children. Well, I actually work with this population. So I work in a special ed high school, a skills-based high school. Um, so our learners, they do uh, the normal CAPS curriculum, adapted CAPS curriculum, but they only leave with the grade nine. Um, and it's... Um, it's a question that comes up often in that a lot of them, like they feel really bad that they're not going to have a matric. And they've, they, they've got this, even the parents, like no matter how much we tell them this is a special ed school you're not going to leave with a matric they still like at the end when the child is in year four they are surprised when we say they're not going to have matric then they're like it's like a first time they're hearing this um, because there's so much of this emphasis on having a matric so um I think what I always tell them uh, and I always tell them that like you know when I was in high school we didn't have Facebook we didn't have in- internet and they're like always like Really, ma'am? Oh, my word, how old are you? (laughs) Um, But I always say to them, you know, if there's anything that I've learned over time is that you you make plans, but life makes other plans. And if if anything, we always say this, but that COVID taught us that this year, right? And so I always say you, 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 you can only plan to a certain extent and do the best you can, but you need to be open all the time to opportunities. You need to be um, aware of things and changes that's happening around you. And you need to kind of think a little bit out of the box and be willing to also um, start down at the bottom. I don't know who sings the song, but it's a hip-hop kind of song when they, they says, started from the bottom, now we're here. It's like a rap song or something like that. So the kids all know okay. it. So I always, okay. when I quote that, then they always like know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's about yeah. that. Like I always say to them, you have to be willing to, if you really are passionate about something. So find what you are really good at naturally. And I always say it doesn't have to be something um, like uh, maths or English or think about, um, are you good at making friends? Like, are you somebody who's a natural leader? Like maybe you, you, you're always the popular one. People don't tend to think about those things as skills. But if you are really good at making friends and you enjoy being around other people, um, then think about what are the kinds of things you can do that can harness that power. So yes, you have an intellectual disability, but you have so many other things that are great about you. How do you identify those things and then follow those those natural skills and look for um, um, activities and occupations and hobbies that uses those those positive attributes that you have. And you will inevitably, it will inevitably lead you to something that is meaningful and that pays. But 
you have to be open to the changes. And I always say to them also, you kind of have to look outside of what your parents are saying you need to do because their frame of reference is what was. They don't know what is going to be. You are actually the ones that are shaping the future. So a lot of the times what they think you need to be doing it's not really where the future lies because they're still thinking in the old model of you go to school, you get a matric, then you go study further, then you you know go into a job. Whereas nowadays, people are starting businesses by being self-taught. I'm self-taught as a web designer. I, I didn't go to web design school. So, you know, like you, you kind of have to just be willing to hustle and put in the work and follow your passions and be and 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 like the famous Gary V always says that this generation I don't agree with everything he says but one thing I do agree with him this generation has the entire world in the palm of their hand through their cell phone and even if you don't have like a lot of money for data these days children do have access to the world which we didn't have like we only had to see the world through the eyes of the tv and the media that was feeding us what they wanted us to see now we can go and look for our own truths. We can go look for information, find out how to do things, you know? So that's kind of what I say. I think children just need to be allowed to explore and expose and, um, and try new things and, and do what they really enjoy and play to their strengths. And that, that, that can never, you can never go wrong if you play to your strengths. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, uh, um, so she has, what did you want to be when you, grew up well, what did your parents tell you to be which would be more likely actually my parents really didn't have say much about what you should be when you grew up um i spent most of my childhood in boarding school but i wanted to be a u.s naval attorney <laughs> jag from young age, like seal yeah, yeah exactly jag, yes. yeah jag <laughs> i wanted to be a navy lawyer Okay. <laughs> Why a Navy lawyer? Just I, I don't know. There was something about growing up in a landlocked country and the thought of actually being somewhere where you could be on a ship and, you know, you could have sea and islands. It, it was a fairly romanticized ideal. <laughs> I mean, I put in all the work to, you know, wrote all the letters and everything to try and get sponsorships and that kind of thing into the U.S. military, but it just never panned out. So, yeah, but... From a young age, I wanted to be a lawyer. The <laughs> <laughs> so, so was actually, you know, before she joined Kitron, she was actually, she worked in an attorney firm. So I think you got it, you were on the right path, just uh, maybe not mm. the jag part. But, uh, yeah. but I think that is just it, right? There are clues in the things that we are interested in. It doesn't mean you have to do exactly that. So for example, um, there's quite a few learners that were at our school that wanted to be nurses. And they obviously can't be a nurse because they don't have a trick. But when I asked them, but what is it that you want to do? Why do you want to be a nurse? And it was more the qualities of what a nurse needs to be, not so much the actual thing that the nurse does. And then like um, two of them now are considering becoming doulas, or doulas. I don't know if you say doula or doula, you know, the doulas. Because they don't, the, so a doula is the one who, so whereas the midwife assists with the birth, the doula is the one that is just there for the socio-emotional um, support of the birthing mother. So they don't do anything to do with the birth. And the, that is 
kind of what they were interested in. Like the one wanted to be a gynae. Now she can be there for the births, be there for the mother, and she doesn't have to take any responsibility for the medical stuff. Or the one, um, the one girl wanted to um, wanted to be a creche teacher. Now she can't be a teacher, go and do, do teaching, but she can go and be a, a creche assistant or a teacher's aide. She can do courses in that. And she gets to play and organize stuff with the kids, but without having to set curriculums. So my point is, you want to be a, a naval lawyer, but there's clues in it if you really dig down into what is it about that profession that attracts you to it. What are the qualities that you need to have? What do you think the strengths are? And you will find something else that ticks all those boxes, but is not exactly that. And you'll still be happy. Mm. Exactly. So my my grand always wanted me to become a postal uh, post office worker, right? Mm. (laughs) Because it was like, it was stability and you got like a bond and all of those things. (laughs) Obviously they never heard of IT or anything. (laughs) Um, but yeah that was like the ultimate dream if you were working in a post office that was that was it um yeah i do want to segment into you mentioned the private practice growth club i'm I'm very curious about that um and then also the academy that you mentioned can you tell us a little bit about that i mean what is it about um how do how does it work so Last year, um, June, I would not have known the Private Practice Growth Club would have even existed. (laughs) That's how quickly it happened. Um, But what had happened was um, um, I, so I had Digital Engage, which is my digital marketing business. And um, I was kind of like re-pivoting the business because I, it wasn't doing well. And then um, I pivoted and started to grow in a different direction. Um, and a lot of the mistakes that I made in my digital marketing business, a lot of it went on upon reflection was because of my health profession brain. I was running my business like a health professional. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and when my, my youngest one went to grade art, I decided, well, maybe it's time to go more into my profession. I've always been like contracting, then I've worked for Verts, then I've done locoming, then, you know, it's kind of just, I've always just been my own boss. And I thought, okay, well, maybe it's time to like go into full-time employment and like see how it is. Maybe I want to want to do that. And um, because I went back into the profession, I rejoined all these Facebook groups for more of the clinical kind of connection, which is why most of us joined, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and while I was in those groups, I started seeing a lot of the same questions come up from private practice owners. What practice management software must I use? How do I get invoices? What ICD-10 code must I use? Like, how do I market my practice? Like, all of those same questions kept coming up. And I realized that um, and I started to to see the similarities in the the what the mindset of private practice owners in what I was having, what I had in my digital marketing business that actually caused my digital marketing business to not generate profit. Like I was generating revenue was increasing, but my profits were almost like going my in the opposite direction to my revenue. <laughs> like it was bad. Like um I, to a point where I considered closing closing the, the business. And only when I, I joined coaching programs, um, I joined two coaching programs, and only through those coaching programs where I learned from um, the coaches who were very business-minded, how to think like a business. It wasn't even about the tactics. It wasn't even about 
how I marketed or anything. It was literally about how I thought about money, how I thought about um, uh, my customers, how I ran my business, how I didn't have to do everything myself because like I always wanted to do everything myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started to see that those were the same mistakes that people were making in their private practices. And that is where uh, this idea came from. And I started the Private Practice Growth Club Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And it grew like really quickly, like a lot of people started joining. Um, and then um, over time, um, I realized there needed to be like a way to to share a lot of the knowledge that I had in terms, especially in terms of social media and marketing and kind of, but understanding as our professional, what are some of the fears around not being like not being unethical. Um, but I didn't want to just focus on the marketing because I I realize, I know how much of a big um, issue mindset is initially. And so just thinking about it, I kind of um, took a lot of the things I learned in my coaching combined with the lessons I learned in my failures in business and what I know around the tactics of business. And I kind of combined it to create this three-module um, course, which then became the academy. Um, and so that's how the academy actually then was born out of the Private Practice Growth Club Facebook group. Okay. That's actually amazing. Um, and, I, and I think when I look at that as well, I mean, I, I think I told you this, um, you know, when we first spoke on the phone, it's what's amazing about that is, I mean, you coming as a healthcare practitioner. So I think it's it's very different when, you know, as a business, you know, like, like for instance, with us as Kitchen coming in and saying, you know, you need to do this. And I think you have that edge, you know, in terms of, you know, the, that likability and the trust factor, you know, that you have their best interests at heart. Um, hopefully not, not that we don't, but, the, you know, the, the fact that you, you know, one of their own, you know, I think is, is actually really good. And I think that kind of comes out in your videos as well. Thing that that you know what you want is you want that curious nature, and I think that kind of comes out. You know, you want to give everyone the you know the best um, options, and I think that kind of comes out. And then also your recommendation or your spin on it. Um, yeah. I'm curious about the tools. I, I, I can, there's not many people that can string the tools together. Is that something that just comes naturally as well? Are you talking about the technology tools? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that well, quite yeah, easy because, to do? Um, yeah, I suppose because I, I've been in digital marketing, so I've always, I, I know like kind of, and, and um, a lot of my coaching, uh, the one coaching course that I just finished in October um, is a US-based coach. So I'm in a lot of Facebook groups that are global. And so, and because South Africa is like a few steps behind the rest of the world, when you are in those spaces, then you get to learn like, what's happening in the rest of the world. And so you can, you you then also are a few steps ahead of everyone else we in South Africa. So, um, but the, the the technology obviously comes with, because I can build WordPress websites and I have done like funnels and all of those things, um, that, that, that came naturally. It was just about selecting the right tool. Now I will say that um, my academy is hosted on a, a platform called Kajabi and, mm-hmm. um, it's it's funny because I'm like a WordPress, like <laughs> WordPress is my jam, right? Mm-hmm. So you would think like, why would you not do it on WordPress? And initially I was going to, but I think that I would draw the analogy to kind of to what you do with Kitrin, right? So um, 
I could have either pieced everything together myself because I do have the skills and ability. I could have pieced everything together and used WordPress and a, my email marketing software and like a whole bunch of different tools. Um, or I can have an all-in-one solution, pay extra, but knowing that I'm paying, the, the cost is absor absorbing all the other costs that I would have. You don't see the cost because they're little bits here and there, but actually when you add them all up, and also I had to think in terms of scale. And this is something that I talk a lot about in the to, to private practice owners as well, is if you don't start with a wage you want to be, and you're just starting here, you're going to make decisions about where you are now rather, about, rather than where are you wanting to be. And it's totally fine if you don't have money now and you want to start off by just doing your own books and doing everything yourself, as long as you don't start like that but not have a plan of how you're going to get out of that. Because then that's what happens is that private practice owners and business owners in general, that's what I did, was you, you start like that and then you end up in this kind of like this rut. And it's so difficult to get out of it because you're in the survival mode thinking because you need to get the next invoice in order to pay this and then you pay this and then you need the next invoice. So it's like it never ends. You're in this hamster wheel and you keep running and running and you can't get off. Whereas if you have a plan that you say, okay, it's fine. I'm going to start as a sole proprietor and I'm maybe just going to do my own billing because I have no patience anyway. So where am I going to bill? And then, but my plan is that in X amount of time, I want to have at least 10 uh, recurring patients, which means my revenue should be roughly there rounds. And that means I'm going to allocate that portion of expense to maybe a software. Now I'm going to sign up to a software so that my invoicing can be quicker. But as soon as my revenue reach, reaches X amount, I'm now going to upgrade to a full service um, service whatever right mm -hmm. but if you don't have that plan and you don't know what your key performance indicators are to know when to upgrade when to move what expenses you're going to prioritize then you're always going to stay on that hamster wheel mm -hmm. and i think the part of the big problem is that um health professionals like you say they don't like to think about money they don't like to think about profit and um and and and, and like one thing that i'm trying to drill through everyone's mind is that revenue does not equal profit because like i said like in my digital marketing business i was making revenue i was like rich but actually i was not rich because i couldn't even pay myself you know because i was running my business so poorly because i was making all this money but because i was running my business so poorly it's like the money was seeping out and unpaid was the biggest biggest cause of that um cash is king and if you don't have a good cash flow then your business is failing so um, but it's because it's like we, we are, as our professionals, we have this thing of like, um, I mustn't want to be rich or I mustn't, and nobody's saying you must like be like, um, you know, Kim Kardashian here. We're mm -hmm. just saying you need to be able to have profit. In, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have a profitable business because otherwise then you are a charity. Then you might mm -hmm. as well just be a charity and mm -hmm. make your mindset right that you are now a charity. So I think that was like a lot of, um, I went off topic because I was supposed to be talking about the tools. And no, no, it's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> but it's I perfect. get really passionate about these things. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we hear that. And the, the, way I, I, <laughs> the way I thought we should reframe it, you know, like when, when we started speaking about money, because, yeah, it was, it was almost like as soon as you started speaking about money to a healthcare professional, they just took a step back, you know, and... Mm. Um, 
And we always said, and even now we said, you get to serve more people. And I find when, when I say that, they seem to, okay, cool, that makes a lot more sense. So rather than mm, mm. just serving 10 people, now you get to serve maybe 200 people. And, you know, irrespective of the money part, you know, you're serving more people. And by virtue of that, you're yeah. making more money. Um, do you think that works better? Yeah, no, it's the same with marketing because I think a lot of private practice, a lot of health professionals also, they think of marketing as selling and selling. And, and I was that way as well. That's why I can talk from experience. Like you feel like all sleazy and salesy is like, I don't want people to think I'm just after their money. Like that, mm-hmm. because I feel like if I'm marketing my services, it's because I want you to buy my stuff and I don't want to feel like that. Um, but I read somewhere somebody said exactly how you framed it in terms of wanting to get more patients is that um, you mustn't think of marketing as selling. You actually, if you reframe it and think of it as serving, because you are, if you, if you are offering is going to help somebody, if there's somebody out there who is really struggling and what you do and what you offer and your service is going to help them, you, it is your ethical responsibility to make your services known to them. And that is what marketing is at the end of the day. And, and, and I think also if you reframe it like that, also the way you do your marketing will be ethical because mar- the, the whole point of the Health Professions Council um, ethics guidelines, it's just so that you can, it's to exactly that to avoid you from being like sleazy salesy. It's to be, to serve, to serve the public. If you serve the public with information and guidance and let them know that their problems can be overcome if they, you know, use certain services, then you are serving the public. And in that way, you will be ethical in your marketing and you will get more business. And like you say, and also, I mean, we all know that saying you can't pour from an empty cup and our professionals are like the priests of that saying they like to tell Mm -hmm. all the patients that but -hmm. then you need to drink your own medicine and say well you also can't pour from an empty cup so now you start your business and you close because now you're not profitable then who are you serving you're not no good to anybody if you if you're going to close or if you're going to be miserable then you're not going to be a very good therapist if you're a psychologist treating somebody with depression and you depressed because you know, your life is falling apart because your practice is in a shambles, then uh, how are you serving your patients? So absolutely, yeah. I think it's it's all about framing and perspective and how you think about something. That's yeah, exactly. I, it, it's yeah. that framing, it's that perspective, it's that understanding that when you open a practice that you're actually starting a business, mm. but that business is about serving and helping people. So... In order to serve and help more people, you have to make sure that your business has a solid foundation, has a growth plan, and is actually being looked after and nurtured the same way as you would nurture a patient to get them to their potential. And mm. once care practitioners get their minds wrapped around that, you tend to see, you know, now you, they start making a lot more business savvy decisions because they're not thinking of themselves as sleazy salespeople and they're not thinking of themselves, you know, well, I'm just a manager. They have the two hats. In Mm. therapy, I'm practitioner. When I walk out of therapy, I'm now the owner of the business and I now need to behave as such. And in doing that, I grow my business and I help the people in the community around me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you put stuff though. Hey, I mean, I love that empty cup idea. (laughs) 
but it actually is so yeah. true. I mean, like that's exactly what it is, you know. And uh, mm. you know, I think the sooner healthcare practitioners, you know, realize that, you know, the better it is. Yeah. Um, in- so I think you know, health professionals they always think, oh, we're not business minded. That may be so because from a theoretical point of view, but actually, if you think about it, we actually do have the inherent skill to be good business people if we change our mindset. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I teach in the market, my marketing mastery is actually. Um, uses the analogy of the clinical reasoning cycle. So when you see a patient, you know, you first assess them and then you um, you diagnose in the sense of what is the, the core problem that you are going to focus on treatment. And then you come up with a treatment plan and then you treat the person and then you have to actually review and check, you know, is this the right thing I'm doing and adjust your plans if necessary. This is exactly what business is. And um, so why aren't you, you should treat your business almost like your patient. So you have to first have your long-term plan. I mean, I used to, I used to um, supervise students at WITS and like, that was always like the big thing. Like how do you formulate your, your long-term goal, medium goal, goal, short-term goals. And then what principles are you going to use to achieve those? And then you get marked on it. That's exactly what business is. You have your long-term, medium-term, short-term goal, and you have your key performance indicators and you choose your tactics, which are your principles and you apply them. Then you have to um, reflect and adjust accordingly if what you decided to do doesn't work. It's exactly the same thing. So we do actually have the inherent skills to be good business people. We just need to think of ourselves as such. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Sher can probably watch for this, but uh... You know, we we always so so you know where this comes up a lot is uh, is financials and tax. Almost everyone comes to us and is like, no, but you know, like we never learned this. You know, it's way above our, you know, head. And almost everyone we work with has two to three degrees. You know, like at a minimum three degrees. You know, and a, you know, like it, and most of them three degrees. And when we just kind of draw it on the white whiteboard in the boardroom, you know, it's like. Okay, do you understand how your bank account works? And you know, when we draw it like that, everyone just gets it. Oh, okay, cool. I understand how tax works now. I understand how you know financials work. And um, yeah, it's just like almost like a different way. It's like a mental block in around mm. you know, no, financials and tax. That wasn't in my degree. You know, I don't know how that works. And uh, when you when you uncover that, it's uh, you know it's night and day. Um, but you know what I liked about what you said is. And, and maybe that's what we're missing as well, is the fact that you can't judge yourself. You, know, you can't, and, and that's the reason you need these coaches and the mentors. And actually, that's, what, that's the reason you need therapists. Because maybe, you know, like a physio, you know, maybe there's a way that you can heal your own back, uh, or, you know, like maybe find a massage ball, but you go to a physio for that. Um, and I find, you know, maybe from a business point of view, there's definitely a way that you almost need to change your thinking and maybe that's what, you know, Private Practice Growth Club will start doing is changing the thinking about you can't do this on your, on your own. You know, you do need someone to look over your shoulder and say, actually, you know, you promised by the end of 2021 you were going to be X. You're not at X. What, you, what is your plan? What is your remediation plan to get back to X? And, uh, mm. and I think because if you leave it to your own devices, you're probably not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And also, like, you know, like... Um, I'll give you a practical example from somebody who was in my academy and we were talking about referrals, like eating referrals. Like sometimes we need to um, stop thinking 
And you guys, actually, you talk about this a lot with the hero's journey. I know with Brand Story, they do the hero's journey and all of this. This is a mistake that most businesses make and private practice um, in particular. I, 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 I tend to like look at people's websites and kind of audit them in my mind. And um, it's you, like people constantly talk about this is who I am. This is my qualifications. This is what I'm good at. So you make yourself the hero. And um instead of thinking, well, what does that person need? What are they looking for? And talk to that. And so a practical example, I had somebody in the academy who we were talking about um, like getting referrals. Um, and one of the things that, um, one, of the exo- one of the ideas that we had was that she was going to, because she wanted to go into a new niche with a younger audience, was that she was going to do a workshop with parents um, around whatever she's, she is treating. And um, afterwards, when she got feedback on the workshop, she spoke about like how she spoke about what she's going to, well, she, not a lot of people came because she told them she's doing a workshop on what, how OT can help with X, Y, and Z. And I said to her, like, no offense, but nobody cares about you. (laughs) (laughs) Because at the end of the day, you actually, so you telling people, they must come take out of their valuable time to come and sit in the workshops that you can market to them. That's basically what you're telling them. She's like, yes, I never thought of it like that. So I said, like, no, you have to identify what is it that your particular target audience is having a, a challenges in that you can assist with and do a workshop on that thing. That's mm-hmm. going to bring them there. And then you don't even talk about your services. You do an actual workshop on that thing. And the same with referrals. I think so many health professionals, they think they can just waltz into like a doctor's office and drop off business card and then the referrals must magically start like what is that you are asking somebody else to work for you as your salesperson Mm. that that doesn't work you need to firstly remove all barriers make it super easy for them to do they mustn't have to think about you and remember you like how do you do that how do you build the relationship how do you give them something that's going to benefit them to what advantages is it for them to to send their patients to you. And sometimes it's just having somebody look over your shoulder and say to you, like, like, stop thinking about yourself. Like, So, Tasneem, you know, based on everything that we've got, you've chatted about this afternoon and that kind of thing, do you have anybody that kind of stands out to you as somebody who may have mentored you or that you look up to who's kind of helped you on this journey of yours to become not only Tasneem Abrams, the OT, but also the entrepreneur, business owner, digital marketing person. Is there anybody along the way who's kind of helped you in that mentorship role? Um, There's many people. I think that um, different people play different roles, plays different roles in your your life. So um, my parents, first of all, because um, they've they've always been the kind of parents to like you know be very open to you trying new things and like my sister for example went to study fine art which it's like most parents would say what are you going to do with art <laughs> you know <laughs> um, and like if I look at the amazing things she's doing as well it's like she wouldn't have done those things without the art um, so um, I think my parents first of all have been a huge influence in being open to new things and. Um, like I said, my mother was always a giver, so that's why I'm, why I'm, I have a helper archetype. Um, and then along the way, there's always been 
different people that were needed at that phase of my life. So um, if I think like in um, at UCT, there was a lecturer there named Rushan Khalfan and um, I was placed in Lavender Hill and she was the one who exposed me to um, this whole concept of occupational enrichment, occupational deprivation. And that further kind of like influenced my thinking in how like you need to explore your different interests. Nobody's unidimensional. You need to expose yourself to uh, um, different kind of occupations and activities and ways of being. So that was in my formative years as, as a student. Um, and then I think as I was getting, as I was older, like my husband as well is, is has a very keen sense of like a business acumen. Um, we like the complete opposites of each other. So mm-hmm. um, uh, a lot of the things that I like, I'm very like, think about things and I'll just do it then. Like he's like the one who's really like, he must have a plan A to Z and then he must have a backup plan for plan A to Z in case Mm -hmm. plan A to Z doesn't work out. And I'm not like that usually normally. Mm -hmm. That's just not my normal way of being. So um, it's it's been good to have like that opposing way of thinking, opposite personality to kind of rein me in a little bit. Um, Otherwise I would have been doing a lot more other things. (laughs) Um, and then I think my coaches as well. So I had two different coaches at different stages. The one was a high performance coach and that was more around like um, developing confidence and like it might seem like like confident people come across confident, but it doesn't mean that they are confident. Like I view the syndrome, like that's like a big thing for me. So um even though I'm an OT for like 20 years, I still feel like, I don't know how I passed occupational therapy. Like I just like winged my way through it and I don't really know what I'm doing when I do actually, it's just like, that's how I feel. Um, So that one coach was really big in helping me kind of just, I still struggle with it, but now I have the tools to kind of overcome it when, when I, and recognize when I'm experiencing that. And then the second coach I had was more of like the business online business, um how to and a lot around money mindset and um those kind of things so there were different people at different stages that had an influence on how i think and how i feel and then i and i would also say that it's so important to have what i call a biz bestie so i have a friend who is also like an entrepreneur and we, we like biz besties so we don't hang out and like know each other's families and all that but we like on WhatsApp all the time, like whenever something happens in my life or in my business, it's like I can like sit on a soapbox and leave, leave her like a 10 minute voice note and she doesn't have to reply. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like I celebrate wins with her. And um, so I have her as my best bestie. And then, like, you know, so just having your family support, my sister support and those people in my life, it's, it makes a big difference because nobody's an island. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, really, I, I think. Sorry, just go back. I really like that idea of that business bestie because mm. so often, you know, you just need somebody to sound an idea, you know, just to use them as a soundboard, sound off an idea, or somebody to come back and say to you, you know what, maybe Tasneem rein it in a little bit on the left here. You know, you're going off mm. on a tangent. I think for anybody in business, that makes the most phenomenal amount of sense is to have somebody who. A, you can hold accountable, but B, that they can hold you accountable. That goes back mm. to this was the goals you set. Why didn't you get there? Or, mm. you know, I do agree that customer was a bit of a, 
difficult one, but maybe we could have handled it like this. I really like mm. that concept of just having a business bestie. Mm. Yeah. So I think um, I, I mean, maybe uh, yeah, I've heard of accountability partner uh, before. So I suppose it's similar on those lines, hey? Um, so yeah, think- sort of. But I mean, like with my business, it's not really, it, it is kind of accountability, but it's also like that safe place that you can rent and know that uh, tomorrow you can take it back and say, okay, well, I was just being okay, yeah. uh, dramatic. Um, okay. Or like I will say to her sometimes, now get to the program why don't you just do this thing like we, we're not even gonna do it you didn't do it yet like you know and then like mm-hmm. um have it but and it's like okay and then we carry on and talk about our children or something else like you know um mm. so it's just having that kind of safe safe space where you know that you can say things you don't really mean and you can you know just a place where you can vent and and then and it's not necessarily your partner because sometimes when you are in business then your partner is somebody you need to complain about then Mm -hmm. it's fine you can complain to that person because they can understand and then tomorrow it's fine again you know it's like Mm -hmm. it's and it's not necessarily the same person who is your best friend because it also Mm -hmm. needs to be somebody who understands what you're going through so she also has a uh, she's a a graphic designer and a a brand strategist so she also is kind of in a similar space and um, so she understands kind of the things I'm going to be. Uh, sometimes she's a few steps ahead of me and sometimes I'm a few steps ahead of her. So we kind of like learn from each other and learn from each other's mistakes and things like that. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it, actually. Um, so I do want to be very respectful of your time. I know we've been going for a while now, but uh, I don't want to close it off just to um, you telling us, you know, what what can we expect from Tasneem Abrams in the next two years. I know you, you're already on a path. Um, so that would be interesting. Um, and I'm doing that selfishly to see how we kind of can cross paths <laughs> at some point. <laughs> so that's yeah. the first one. And then also just to close off by saying, you know, how would people get hold of you? Uh, what's the best way to do that? You know, where would they find your your shows, all of those things? Um, yeah. And with the transcription, we'll obviously put that in the show notes. Um, but yeah. So yeah, I so I always say that I would have been perfect working in a job where my main main job was to just come up with ideas because I have lots of ideas, <laughs> um, and like that's why I need somebody to write me in because I would just like do everything at the same time. But I've learned my lesson from past mistakes and failures, so I've I have now a bit of a more like um, like planned out, you know I. I have all these things I want to do, but it will be in the future. So I think for me, the main thing right now is to really um, improve the academy product. So um, like, you know, um, really define the lessons, the handouts, all of that. I do want to grow my YouTube channel because, um, and the reason why I chose YouTube as my main like traffic driver content source is because I do recognize not everybody's going to be able to be in a position to, pay to be in the academy um so it's kind of like the analogy with your kitchen product as well it's like you can pay and have somebody like teach you and and get what you need or you can piece everything together so obviously the the youtube channel you're not going to get everything in like one package you're going to have to kind of piece bits and pieces together but you totally can do that um 
So I want to grow that channel so that it can have a reach that if people ever search anything in Google, my videos need to come up so mm. that they can get the answer that they need. But I think the future of the academy be beyond like really refining the products is to have um, is to flesh out the, the resource hub. So I'm developing a free resource hub where um, all these um, free, like the checklist that I created and that where you actually have access to it in the app and you can access it at different stages because I think that's also important to recognize. You have somebody who's just thinking of starting, who's just started, somebody who's started, but they're kind of staying in that startup stage. Then you have people that want to scale and there needs to be an offering at each of those levels. Um, a big part of my strategy of the growth of the academy is really about partnerships because I don't know everything. I'm not an expert in everything and I don't want to be an expert in everything. Um, I don't want to be a mentor, for example. Um, so whereas there are people that want to be mentors or coaches or like one-on-one. -on -one. I don't want to do intensives. I prefer the group coaching model, um, teaching, making videos, making content. And so um, I do want to bring in that partnership. So I have got some partnerships in the wings with um, associations um, with that specific to specific um, practices. Um, and that's kind of the part that I'm in stage and I'm in now is wanting to build those partnerships um, so that we can kind of collaborate and where I can't offer something somebody else can um, and to give access to other people's audiences that they can access my product um, at a better rate. Um, so that's where the Private Practice Growth Club is concerned. Um, my digital marketing business I still have, but I've kind of shrunk it down where it's kind of a bit of a snooty service because it's, the, it's exclusive <laughs> by application only. So I'm only doing websites and I'm, I've cut it down. I'm not doing all the digital marketing. I only do um, lead generating websites for coaches, um, influencers and bloggers. So a lot of influencers and bloggers also sell digital products. Um, so I only work with a certain type of individual. So I'm not looking for bloggers who want like a cheap website and I want to start blogging. It's people who actually want to grow a business. Um, so that's why my digital marketing business is by application only. I can only take one client at a time. Um, and then on a, on a health professional's front, I actually will be starting my own practice as well <laughs> really soon. Um, and it, it's a bit... Um, it's a bit scary to put that out there because um, it's kind of like now you have to like prove that what you teach works because you mm. saying all these things. So, but like, I'm all about, you have to be authentic and show like put your money where your mouth is. And so um, in part, it's kind of um, putting myself out there and people will see, well, well, is it going to work? But in part, I also view it as a way of me actually testing out, so that I can say, look, yeah, I tried this and it didn't work. And this is why it didn't work. So if you're in the same kind of situation, maybe you shouldn't do it. Maybe you should rather do it this way. So I could actually use my practice as a experiment and a testing ground. Because also there's a lot of new things that are coming. Marketing is changing all the time. So I can't go and teach you something in marketing that people are using for e-commerce. And then it doesn't work for a health professional like for health professionals so it's an opportunity for me to first test it and see if it works and then i can say guys i'm going to teach you this i'm going to do a master class this is how you do it this is how you use linkedin or whatever whatever 
it really worked for me. And then that's how people can actually learn from me as I go along. So I will be using kind of documenting things that have worked and what didn't work and so on. So yeah, watch the space. That's me. <laughs> I, I actually I actually love that. Hey, I mean I can it, there is that there is that similarity then, you know, in terms of what we're doing. Because uh, like mm-hmm. I said, you know, we use the consulting based product, you know, to feed into the software based, you know, like uh, systems that we that we develop. Uh, but I like that. You know, we'll we'll definitely be keeping in touch, and you know, I definitely want to see, you know, how that evolves. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for being on the show. I mean, uh, this was amazing, and I think we learned a lot. You know, I think Chaz, anything on your side before we close it up? I just want to really thank Tasneem for taking her, the time out of her busy schedule to come and join us on the show, and I took away some really good points that I think we could really use on a personal level just to make sure that we're offering the best that we can offer out there. So thank you very mm-hmm. much for your time. No, it's my pleasure. As you can hear, my, I don't know if you can hear, but my kids are making a lot of noise outside. <laughs> That's keeping it authentic. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, just to also end up with, say thank you to you guys for having me on and good luck with your channel. I'm sure it's going to, um, it's going to grow from stride mm-hmm. to stride and help a lot of people as well. Um, I forgot to say where to find Private Practice Growth Club. It's pretty mm. easy because I've like customed everything. So YouTube, you just look for Private Practice Growth Club. It will come up. And my website is privatepracticegrowthclub.co.za. Okay, amazing. So we'll put that in the show notes. And yeah, once again, thank you. And we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. As always, stay tuned and we'll speak to you in the next episode.